You're listening to a Stranger podcast. www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. Okay, American and Canadian ladies. Uh, most of my listeners are in American Canada. I know there are listeners in other places. But for sake of argument, American and Canadian ladies who can hear the sound of my voice right now, what can women in Portugal, Hungary, Turkey, Thailand, India, China, Cambodia do that you can't do, Canadian and American ladies? They can buy birth control pills over the counter and you can't. You have to make a doctor's appointment and go to the doctor, which is a problem for – Particularly women, poor women who don't have doctors, who may not have health insurance, who may not have the time. There are working people who take the time out of their day to make a doctor's appointment and show up at a doctor's office and get a prescription for birth control. In these countries, these other countries, you can just walk into a drugstore and buy birth control. In Mexico, you can buy birth control pills over the counter without a doctor's prescription. And last week, the American College of Obst Obstetricians and gynecologists issued a, a, a paper, a finding. They called for birth control pills to be made available over the counter in the United States, which would be a wonderful development, particularly if you want to see the rate of unplanned pregnancies come down. Fifty percent of all pregnancies in the United States and Canada are unplanned pregnancies. And if you want to see that rate come down because you don't want people's lives disrupted, if you want to see that rate come down just because an unplanned pregnancy is likelier to end in abortion than a planned pregnancy, hello, of course, whatever the fuck, you know, you would want to make birth control more widely available. You would want to make health care more widely available generally but particularly birth control more widely available. Because nothing brings down the abortion rate and the unplanned pregnancy rate faster than ease of access to contraceptives. There's a great piece on Salon about this. A lot of the objections that people raise when you talk about making uh, birth control pills available over the counter are kind of patronizing and infantilizing about women and women's health and women's ability to make their own choices and decisions. Lauren Neergaard for the Associated Press wrote a wonderful piece kind of addressing in advance a lot of the objections that people might raise to birth control pills being made available over the counter. Including, you know, birth control pills are very safe. Uh, Lauren Neergaard writes, blood clots, the main serious side effect, happen very rarely and are a bigger threat during pregnancy and right after giving birth. People on birth control are less likely to get pregnant and give birth, so blood clots less of a concern. And women can easily tell if they have risk factors, because uh, there are risk factors, such as smoking or having had a previous clot. And then therefore they might not want to choose the pill as their birth control option. And it is really kind of infantilizing to treat women like this. You can't trust them with over-the-counter birth control pills because, oh, birth control pills have side effects. A lot of drugs that are available over-the-counter have side effects, potentially serious side effects, including stomach bleeding from taking too much aspirin and liver damage from acetaminophen, also known as Tylenol or whatever. We trust that people know that Medications, including many over-the-counter medications, carry some risk of side effects and people need to use their own best judgment. But we want to get contraceptives into the hands of more people and more easily and more cheaply at less cost of time and money. There are a lot of people out there who would like to be on birth control who can't access it because they don't have a primary care physician. They don't have a gynecologist. They don't have the time to get to the doctor. They can't make an appointment. We want those people to have access to birth control. 
there's no risk that this is going to happen anytime soon. A drug company would have to apply and fight for the right. And what we've seen in the past is any drug that comes along that makes it easier for people to have sex without risking sexually transmitted infections or pregnancies, opposition comes in from the right because the right and the sex negative nutbags want to make sure that if you choose to have sex, terrible things will happen to you. They want to make it likelier that terrible things will happen to you. No one is pushing right now to make birth control pills available over the county. A drug company would have to do that. But I guarantee you that if a drug company answers the call of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and pushes for this, we will see them come out of the woodwork in opposition. The same people who opposed introducing the HPV vaccine to save women's lives will emerge to oppose making birth control more easily and readily available to women. Your calls after this. ExtremeRestraints.com has thousands of toys capable of revolutionizing your sex life. The right vibrator, clit pump, or cock cage could unlock a whole new dimension to your sexuality. No matter how freaky or vanilla you think you are, you'll find great prices and selection for the kinds of toys that get you off. Save an extra 10% when you enter GGG November at checkout. Double that discount for 20% off if you use GGG November at checkout by Sunday. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Just go to AdamandEve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hi, Dan. I'm calling because I'm getting married next year and I'm working on my guest list. And I have a lot of gay and lesbian friends. But I am from Podunk, middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, where there are people who are not chill with the gay community and would be eyeball-fucking my gay and lesbian friends if they came. And I would really love for them to be there because I would have just so much fun. But at the same time, I don't want them to feel completely uncomfortable with these other folks. So what I'm thinking is maybe I should just have something separate, like with them afterward, like a big party for all of us at our house and just have a good time. I'm not just alienating just my gay and lesbian friends, but I mean, there are some other folks in the area in which me and my fiancé live that can't make it to this wedding because it is three hours away. Um, so I'm not sure if that's the best route to go or if I should just say, screw it, it's my wedding, it's what I want to do, and everyone's just going to have to deal with it. Um, let me know what you think. I don't want to seem elitist or weird, and I don't think that they would be brokenhearted if they didn't get an invite, but I just love hanging out with them. They're great. They're friends. I think you should have a totally separate event for your gay friends. We'll call it separate and equal, a separate and equal party for your gay. Look, lady, here's what you do. You say to the bigots that my friends are coming to my wedding, which is only three hours from where I live, which anyone who's your friend will get in a car and drive three hours to your wedding. You're not getting married in fucking Tahiti. You say to your bigot relatives, hey, I have gay friends and they're coming to my wedding. Don't like gay people? Can't be in a room with gay people without giving them the stink eye or worse? Don't come to my fucking wedding. That's what you say if you have gay friends that you want to be in your life for the rest of your life. You know, one day your bigoted relatives are all going to be fucking dead and it's your friends you're going to be relying on and you don't want to insult those people by deferring to the goddamn bigots. And, you know, I'm a little ranty. Sorry about that. But – I just have this feeling that if the deal were racist relatives and black friends, that you wouldn't err on the side of excluding your black friends from your wedding. You would say to your racist relatives, 
don't come or be polite, one or the other. You wouldn't say to your black friends, oh, I'd invite you, but my Aunt Marge is a racist and I don't want my Aunt Marge to feel uncomfortable or to make you feel uncomfortable. Part of the beauty and tension and drama of weddings is bringing people into a room together who would never choose to be in a room together. It's only through the, re- the relationship with the bride and groom that they would end up in this room together and that sometimes means bringing people into the room together who are of different races, classes, uh, urban, rural, gay, straight, whatever and everybody agrees to get along. And it's actually something that advances social tolerance and even the struggle for marriage equality is that straight people see their friends, have gay friends and get to know them socially because everyone's being polite so as not to anger the bride and the groom or ruin their big day and it allows them to lower their guards. So – Invite your gay friends to your fucking wedding. You can say to your gay friends, look, I have some relatives who are anti-gay. I recently went to a wedding where there were some people there who didn't approve of gay people. Um, you say to your gay friends, I have some relatives who are really anti-gay bigots and your gay friends are like, awesome, whatevs. And you say to your anti-gay bigoted relatives, you know what? I have gay friends and they're coming to the wedding. Don't like gay people? Don't come to my wedding. That's the solution. Not a separate but equal party for your gay friends after the fact. Not if you want them to stay your friends. Hey, Dan. Uh, I'm a 27-year-old guy. Um, I just got kind of a general question for you. Um, my life's going pretty well. I've got a girlfriend I like really a lot, really like a lot. But um, I have this fetish that's pretty strong. It's uh, it's pretty weird. I'll tell you about it if you want. Just let me know. But it, basically, it's physically impossible. And it's so rare that there's kind of a pretty tight-knit Internet community centered around it. And I've kind of gotten a lot out of that. Like, I've uh, learned how to do programming. I've learned how to write. and know a lot of really weird, cool people. And it's been kind of fun. I've been, I've been a part of it for a while. And my girlfriend was just saying she was kind of weird, kind of creepy. And I, I realized I'm spending like a decent amount of time on it. So I just wanted your advice. Is this really like a wise thing to do? Should I try to just suppress that? I mean, it's not like being gay. Being gay, you know, there's gay people and, and it's, it's real. And, you know, you can't suppress it. But with this, maybe I should just, I don't know, stop doing it. Anyway, hope to your opinion. Hello. Hey, it's Dan Savage. Wow, Dan, it's such an honor. <laughs> well, you, you, you led me on in the, the, the perfect way to get a phone call. You mentioned an impossible-to-realize fetish, but you don't say what the fetish is. What is it? Uh, I think, actually, you've had it on the show before. It's called, the street name for it is war. Basically, it means people eat each other alive, and quite frequently, those people are actually half-people. As magical beast of some sort. Yeah, you want to be so. careful with the online fantasizing about that fetish. I'm sure all of you in the Vore community are familiar right now with the New York City police officer who was in jail because he was spinning out elaborate oh, fantasies yeah. um, that to prosecutors and other authorities looked like they were imminent, that he was about to realize them and they erred on the side of arresting him before he cooked and ate some woman uh, and not after. So I would be really careful with your vor fetish. Oh yeah, we got a pretty consistent stream of trolls coming in and talking up discussions about stuff like that. Yeah, well, they could be trolls. You're calling me a troll, I guess. Then, but that's okay. I, I, sometimes I do troll. <laughs> um, so your question is: Do you what then? You, you you're dating someone that you're not presumably planning to kill and eat or eat alive, right? I don't want. I don't want to eat anybody alive. I just like watching women do it to other women. So it's kind of weird that way. Basically, my question is, like, I, I got into this, I guess because I'm just kind of a nerdy guy, and so I like stuff on computers, and there's kind of this whole community, and there's all people doing art. I learned how to do some art, learned how to do some writing, learned how to do some computer programming, people make video games. It's kind of a fun community, but I'm just thinking, I basically, 
I think I want you to tell me that it's not good to spend two hours every day working on a hobby related to an impossible sexual fetish. Yeah, it is not good to spend two hours every day working on uh, a hobby that is built around an impossible to realize and very alarming to people who aren't tapped into the hopefully the fantasy element of all of this. Uh, you know, you are going to really complicate your romantic life and your inner life um, if this is something that you're you know that that was in you i guess to begin with this desire for kind of gore fantasy and horror fantasy and there are other people out there with oh, gore and horror fantasies but you I may think be I might need to correct you on that point actually what's that yeah basically it's it's actually highly related to the, the furry community and that there's no gore it's basically all built around like the, like a cartoonish idea of just people being eaten whole and alive so okay. people actually like the gore part of it is pretty small minority. I don't know if that makes you feeling more comfortable. So it's like popping a tiny little furry woman in your mouth whole, not actually butchering yeah. her. <laughs> there's aye, all, there's aye, all aye. different kinds of flavors. I guess that makes it okay. You know, you know, you can do what you like. You can fantasize about what you like. Um, and you sometimes, you know, you can't really control what it is that you fantasize about. But you can make a decision to minimize. You know, I often think that if you have an unrealizable fantasy – um, you shouldn't obsess about it and it's something that you can explore through fantasy play uh, and that is what you're doing online. You're exploring it through fantasy play. But anybody who's spending two, three, four hours a night at the computer exploring just heterosexual, vaginal, missionary position intercourse with a spouse, you know, if that was their fantasy and they, they were pouring this much time into it, I would say you need to push away from the computer and have a yeah. real life too. Yeah, that's not a great use of time. It's not a great use of time. And, you know, I, I've written – I wrote a column a while ago about somebody uh, who wanted to have his balls bashed in and spoke to a, a sex researcher where they have treated people with impossible to realize or sexual fantasies that, that were impossible to realize or if realized would result in grave bodily harm to themselves or someone else and treated them with SSRIs, antidepressants basically and that helped alleviate the desire for whatever that – batshit fantasy was or unrealizable or potentially really harmful if realized fantasy. I'm not of the throw a drug at it school of treatment for out there kinks. I'm pretty pro out there kink. But out of control out there kink or if it's about an OCD obsessive compulsive sort of overboard obsession, then maybe you might want to think about approaching a shrink. Particularly if it's going to completely oh, fuck up I your private life. I actually get a lot of fun out of like writing story, like writing like I've written like from like two hundred pages of stories. I didn't say me, like, you, I didn't. I didn't say you weren't having fun. I'm just saying if you're looking for a way to dial it back, that's a way. Okay, but maybe I'm thinking maybe I can take that skill and put it into something slightly more, uh, you know, discussable with with uh, friends and family. <laughs> yeah, this isn't something you want to discuss with friends and family. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, the amount of time and I mean, look at that. Look at the amount of time and effort and energy that you're spending writing, programming, thinking, obsessing online. All for what? For a fantasy that you can never act on or realize, right? And about a subject that you can't really share with anyone except this tiny online community of like-minded kinksters, mm-hmm. right? So. Maybe you're honing skills that you can use, that you can apply in other ways in other arenas of your life, but the amount of time that you're pouring into this isn't leaving a lot of time to apply those skills elsewhere. And you might want to think about 
dinking around with a shrink about it, maybe think about SSRIing about it, maybe not for the rest of your life, but for a while to maybe break the spell, and then pouring all that time and energy into something that is real and realizable. Oh, God, I feel like you just schooled me. That's what I'm here for. You're kind of good, actually. <laughs> good luck, man. Please don't eat anybody, furry or not. All right, thanks a lot. Bye. ExtremeRestraints.com has all the tools you need to unlock your sexual potential. Want to ease into anal? They've got anal trainer kits, skinny vibrating silicone butt plugs, and even beginner inflatable plugs. Want to stretch your balls? And who doesn't? Extreme Restraints has rubber, neoprene, leather, and steel ball stretchers. Want to turn your Hitachi magic wand into a rabbit? They have got that attachment for you too. No matter what you want to explore, Extreme Restraints has toys for every experience level. And now you can explore your sexuality for less when you enter coupon code GGGNOVEMBER for an extra 10% off. And double that discount if you use GGGNOVEMBER by Sunday for 20% off. Hello, Dan. Um, I'm calling because I feel stuck. I'm an openly gay single man, 46 years old. Uh, like some past callers, I'm one of those people who feel like they'll never meet someone. Of course, for me, that's not true, as I did have a seven-year relationship with a nice guy. That relationship fell apart when he left me for someone else, and that was six years ago, hence I feel I'm stuck. I felt very isolated emotionally in that relationship, and I also feel the same way now that I've been single. In a way, it doesn't feel any different being single. I recently have come to terms with why I think I feel like I can't really emotionally, intimately connect with others. When I was a teenager, I was very lonely and pretty much ignored by my family, so I coped with that through sex. Throughout my teens, I started, starting at age 15, I had anonymous sex at creepy places where I grew up. Uh, you're the first one to hear that. <laughs> when I look back on it, I pretty much allowed myself to be sexually exploited by strangers, mostly older than me. I think in these years, I pretty much destroyed my ability to really emotionally trust men and be intimately close to them. While I could hook up and have hot sex with a stranger, if I really liked the guy, I would emotionally shut down and could not have sex. Um, you know, I could have an erection for an hour and feel absolutely nothing. I'd be numb or I'd lose my erection. Um, and I think that's pretty much why it ruined the relationship that I did have. You know, um, it pretty much felt beyond my control. So now I'm afraid. I don't have hookup sex very often anymore, maybe three, four times a year. And I can have sex more than once with a guy, but I can tell you, it, the pattern starts over, you know, with a familiar person. My dick shuts down and I feel nothing. Uh, I'm afraid I can't ever have a chance at a relationship again. I feel broken. Uh, most gay men want to hook up right away, and I just can't handle that pressure. It invites anxiety and all the shutdown responses, and I don't know how to stop that shutdown. I feel emotionally disabled, and I feel very out of sorts. I mean, all my friends, gay and straight, all of them are in relationships, and I feel like I'm the only one who can't seem to do that. I'm pretty depressed, and I don't know how to fix myself. You got to stop beating yourself up about this, first of all. When you were young, you sought sex and affection in the only way that it was available to you, anonymously. That was really common, you know, particularly depending on where you grew up and, and in what decade you grew up. If there wasn't a space for people to be open and out and to be publicly who they were, there was pressure release valves. There were parks and rest stops where everybody knew and understood guys like that could go and anonymously 
seek sexual release. And the deal the culture made, gay men then, was we will leave this space to you if you never come out. We will give you this one place to express yourself sexually on the condition that you never live uh, out. And so forming a relationship under that kind of pressure was impossible. A lot of guys who wind up doing that, uh, whether they it's the only choice they have or they think that's what gay sex is and about or they're attracted to it, wind up carving a really deep groove in themselves emotionally where they just forge this really strong uh, association between anonymity and arousal. Um, and the, the association is so strong that as you've experienced, the less anonymous the sex partner, the harder it is to become aroused with that sex partner. It can take time to break that down. You had a seven-year relationship. You know you are capable of being in relationships. You're also not the only gay man out there with this particular dysfunction. I'm not saying that you should find another gay guy who shares your dysfunction um, and partner up. But there are other gay guys who've struggled with this, who've come through it or have worked around it and learned to accommodate it somehow in their intimate life. There are gay guys out there in long-term loving, stable relationships. There are straight guys out there in long-term loving, stable relationships where there's not a lot of sex with the partner. That the partnership isn't about sex or it's kind of – I've called them companionate marriages. People have companionate marriages for all sorts of reasons. You can have a partner maybe if you can't – if this is something you can never break through. You could still have a partner and then instead of forever identifying this disconnect as the problem that you must solve in order to sustain or, or even have a relationship, you take – the sex out of the relationship and say, I'm looking for a relationship that's about love and commitment but not necessarily about sex because I have this perhaps unsolvable problem, this un unlearnable conditioned response. So that's an option to you uh, and because of what so many gay men, particularly our age and older, have been through, uh, there are a lot of guys out there who are in the same place that you are in. You also have the option of getting yourself a shrink and working on this together. Um, with with a shrink or getting a boyfriend and working on this together also with a shrink. Uh, there's a lot of couples counseling that was done with MDMA back in the day, with ecstasy back in the day before it became a Schedule One drug and they found that ecstasy sometimes really helped people break through emotional inhibitions, perhaps something along the lines of your emotional inhibition that perhaps finding a counselor and now some counselors are again working with uh, MDMA to treat post-traumatic stress disorder in service members. Well, you kind of have a post-traumatic stress disorder that's tied to the way you were raised, the way your family treated you and the way you sought sex and love and affection when you were young. Perhaps you could work with a shrink uh, who either could use MDMA or whatever else he wants to use and tackle this problem. But in the meantime, you don't have to wait till it's solved to reach out and find somebody and have a relationship. You also say most gay men want to hook up right away and that's true. But there are a lot of gay men out there who don't want to hook up right away. Uh, they are the minority. But if you say I'm not interested in hooking up right away on a personal ad, guys who are interested in hooking up right away aren't going to contact you. And there are guys out there who don't want to hook up right away. So put that out there and you will naturally then attract those guys, right? So double front this. Date, hang out, have relationships right now. Get a shrink. Talk about it. Work on it. Either reconcile yourself to this being a pattern, something you can't overcome and so you're going to have to build a relationship that allows you to have this kind of sex. Uh, so perhaps a companionate marriage where both of you seek sex outside the marriage or one of you does. But I think you can break through this. You're 46. That's not that old. 
You're 46. I think you can break through this. You're really articulate about how this happened to you, how you got to this place. And a word of warning to my fellow faggots out there, particularly the young ones. Everybody jokes about parks and bathhouses and bushes as if it's all just a frolic, as if it's some kind of you know, pastoral out there. People really do harm to themselves. You know, one of the things about being an adult sexually active person is meshing your desire for sex and release with your capacity to be emotionally intimate with someone. And as evidenced by this caller's problem, if you really pull those things apart and you go for all that easy sex and easy release, you may find it very difficult to bring those things back together again later in life at a stage in life where you'll want those things to come back together. So word to the warning for all the fags out there. Anyway, get a shrink. Get a boyfriend. Get a personal ad that says no sex in the first date. Want to date for a while. Want to get to know you. Have some sexual issues maybe. You could throw that out there because there are other guys with sexual issues out there. But get a shrink first and foremost. And I'm really sorry for the pain that you're in. And remember, this was done to you. This isn't something you did to yourself. You were damaged by the culture. You didn't damage yourself intentionally. This episode is brought to you by adamandeve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Go to adamandeve.com and order almost any one item at 50% off. Choose a new adult toy, lube, or almost anything from over 18,000 adult products. Then at checkout, enter offer code SAVAGE and you'll get to choose three free adult DVDs. That's right. You get to choose your own DVDs. Plus, receive a free mystery gift and free shipping on your entire order. Choose from all kinds of genres for both gay and straight folks. And now you can also shop on your mobile phone at Adam and Eve. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hi, Dan. I am a 25-year-old straight female, and I'm calling because, like many American women, I am super turned on by um, some light BDSM and have um, rape and humiliation fantasies. And I have no problem with that. Logically, I actively incorporate these elements into my fantasy life. Um, but the problem is that if I explore them with a partner, initially it's the hottest, most awesome thing. But then later I just have that reaction of shame and like disgust with myself. And it's totally illogical, but it's just how I feel. And it, and it sometimes stays for like a couple of days. I know that it's because probably of my evangelical Christian upbringing doesn't really match um, what my liberal atheist self thinks now, but the feeling's there anyway. I started seeing this guy with a similar kink, not sure what to do. Um, do I pursue the kink with him um, and hope the shame goes away? Does this mean I should keep? Does this mean I um, should just keep the kink in my fantasy life? I really want it to be part of my sexual landscape, but I'm not sure if I should pay attention to the feeling that I've been having. Thanks so much. I like to tell people they have to feel their feelings and feel the fuck out of their feelings and you can't avoid your feelings. Um, but the feeling that you're feeling I think is one that you should feel because you can't help it. But learn to ignore or shake off. What you're having is sort of the post-orgasm regrets. You know, We all have this sense that in pursuit of sex, we look ridiculous. Having sex, you know, we look ridiculous. And immediately after sex, we kind of feel ridiculous and then we have to get horny again before we're willing to make ourselves ridiculous in pursuit of and while having sex. And that coupled with kind of free-floating anti-kink shame and anxiety uh, is just resulting in, you know, after you get your kinky nut off, you're like, oh, gee, I wish I was normal. I wish I didn't need all the props and costumes and drama. That feeling will go away each and every time you have sex if you just don't 
obsess about it. So long as you know that feeling isn't trying to tell you something, if you're in pursuit of you know the BDSM, the light BDSM that you enjoy, if you're having sex with people who disgust you or that you look down on, or doing things in the moment that are unsafe or unhealthy, and then as soon as you come, you're like, what the fuck? If it's not that kind of shame, but just like ooh, a little squicky self contempt, that's just your body. That's just you know you're you're not horny. You came. You got off. You're done. Uh, and so you need to walk away from the restraints and the get out of the playroom if you're in the playroom or a dungeon. Just walk away from it, clean it all up later, and just shake it off and go have a bowl of cereal or go have a drink uh, and relax. And remember that there are a lot of people who have totally normal uh, missionary position, hetero, opposite sex within the bounds of matrimony sex who have that same feeling immediately after coming that you're having immediately after you have sex. Just this kind of squicked out like, oh, sex, wow, why did I make such a big deal out of that? So don't think that this is all about your kinks. It's just kind of a, a natural, unfortunately, uh, I think, so beaten into us by the culture and the way we're socialized to regard sex, but kind of so common that we have to call it a natural reaction uh, to sex. Immediately when we're done, we're a little like, oh, why? That, was that really that important, that crazy orgasm and everything I did to get there? Oh, I feel a little silly. Not necessarily about kink, not necessarily about you. Shake it off, go have some ice cream. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a straight married lady and I listen to your show a lot. Um, I heard you answer a call about this kind of a topic a while back, but I think my question has another layer of complexity than the one that you had answered before. Um, I'm really close with my family, and my parents have been married for 45 years this week, in fact. About four years ago, my brother and I started noticing things on my parents' computer. We weren't snooping because, honestly, who wants to see anything that your parents are trying to hide from you? But things like gay porn just started popping up on the screen here and there. Like when you open the browser, it would automatically show you the most recent websites, and they were all these gay bear websites. At the time, we chalked it up to the fact that it might be a virus or something, and my dad always made it like it was my brother's friends who were pulling things up on his computer as a joke, even though my brother really doesn't have any gay friends, nor is he gay, and his friends wouldn't use my parents' computer anyway. At that time, my brother and I started making jokes about our dad being gay. Not like nasty gay-hating jokes at all, but like, oh, it's funny that our almost 70-year-old dad is gay and he just never bothered to tell us, because isn't that so ridiculous? Oh, and by the way, my dad is 71 years old now. Well, as time went on and my brother and I started putting the pieces together, well, we started putting pieces together. He has all these male friends and he started talking about them incessantly and he goes away to my parents' weekend house by himself all the time and he's acted homophobic and a bit defensive over the years about my gay uncle and when I've brought my gay guy friends around. And then eventually I saw something that he wrote on his computer that came right out and said that he's bi and that he basically needs to keep his male relationships away from my mom, which really took me aback. And... Well, now that I've known about this for more than three years, more and more keeps coming up, and I know there can be no doubt at all that he leads this sort of double life. Now, I understand there are lots of things that I don't know and I don't want to know about my parents' relationship, and it's entirely possible that my mom does know about this and that she condones it, but my parents are both in relatively ill health, and I would be surprised if they're actually sexual with one another. So my primary concern is not really about my mom's sexual health with my dad going off on these escapades, but... After the initial shock of it, it doesn't bother me now that my dad is gay or bi or anything. I appreciate the fact that my parents have stayed together for such a long time and they've nursed each other through various illnesses over the years and they're each other's family. It's really not my business what their arrangement is. And if my dad never wanted my brother or me to know about this other life he leads, I understand that I shouldn't burst that bubble for him, though I do wish that he had kept it more of a secret if that's what he wanted, and I think it is. 
what I'm upset about most is that my dad is morbidly obese. I mean, morbidly. He's easily 350 or 375 pounds, and he's only 5'10". His health is awful because of it. He's always been heavy, but I really believe a lot of the reason he has never lost the weight is because he has some deep-seated anxiety or emotional difficulty about his sexuality. You know, he grew up in the 40s and 50s, and he married my mom in the 60s, and I get that that was super, super hard to come out at that time. It's hard to come out now. I understand completely that he always wanted kids and a wife to raise them and that we had a really loving childhood, and he's a great, I mean, he's a great dad. But he's 71, and he has this tremendous physical weight on him. My brother and I have been trying for many, many years to get him to eat better and to exercise, and I used to go to Weight Watchers with him to help him even though I'm not overweight myself. Now he's trying, now he's getting older and his health is just failing more and more, and part of me believes that if he knew that I knew about the secret that he's trying to keep and that I love him just as he is, no matter what his sexual preference is, Maybe he would feel more loved and accepted, and maybe he would start to feel better about himself and his life, and maybe be able to overcome this hating himself and gorging himself to death. I love my dad, and I want him to be around for as long as possible. And it kills me to think that I might have that I might have some power if I told him that I loved him no matter what. I think you may be oversimplifying things. I, I, I don't think the solution to your dad's uh, obesity problem, to the morbid obesity or his addiction to food, is just knowing that his kids know that he's gay. I don't think telling him that you know that he's gay is going to result in him pushing back from the dining room table or pulling his head out of the fridge. Uh, and it may be that he's just naturally obese and this isn't about overeating or whatever. But uh, I do think that you know your dad and mom have made their bed and they've lied in it and they've been there for a long time and you have to kind of respect your parents' privacy and – uh, the life they've built together, and you know, I don't. I, I generally come down on the side of you know what you know, and you shouldn't have to pretend not to know what you damn well do know. And if you know your father's gay because he's been indiscreet enough that you guys have been able to pick up over the years enough clues to put it all together, then I don't think it would be terrible to go to him and say just privately, Dad, whatever arrangement you have with mom and you guys clearly love each other and I, I love you and I love you and mom and that you are still together, We that, that's so valuable to us and you've been such great parents. But I really feel like it would take some of the pressure off if you could be more open with me about every aspect of your life, about this aspect of your life that I've uncovered accidentally and not intentionally and then see what he says. It might be a relief. He might also then be really embarrassed and humiliated and angry and not really wanting to open up. You know, somebody who is gay or maybe he is bi, but somebody who's closeted all his life like this, it may be shattering for him to think that his ruse, that, you know, the lie he so carefully constructed was ultimately so transparent. So he may not react well. It may not cause him to start going to the gym. It may cause him to spiral further downward if he is so self-loathing that he's punishing himself with food because he's gay, which we don't necessarily know to be true, he may be so self-loathing that knowing that his children know he's gay and see a gay dude who's eating himself to death might cause him to abuse himself further. I, I, I don't know what to tell you to do. I, I think in your shoes, I would just back the fuck off and allow your dad his charade. Because there's no guarantee that just saying, Dad, you're gay, right? Tell me I know is going to result in better health practices after 70 or 50 years of him abusing himself and, and punishing himself. It just seems there are so many variables that when you game this all out, there's almost no move you can make 
that's the right move to make, that, that you can know is the right move to make before you make it. Having it all out at least is erring on the side of honesty and everything being above board. But again, if your concern is your parents' health, having everything out there and being above board for two people in their 70s who have worked so hard to construct this lie for so many decades, having it all out there may not result in a better health outcome for mom and dad. It could actually send them – one or the other or both of them spiraling out of control. Generally, I come down, like I said, on the side of knowing what you know and not having to lie or pretend. But if the reason you want to come out with this or you want your dad to come out or you want to tell dad that you know that he's gay and he should be out to you is to improve his health outcome, that doesn't necessarily follow. And there's a lot of other things you have to weigh here about what kind of person your dad is, how much he values his privacy, whether being dragged out or knowing that his kids know is going to be good for him emotionally or bad for him emotionally, whether it damage your mother's feelings. Your parents may be very mutually invested in this facade that they've created of a happy, lifelong, heterosexual bond. And knowing that you guys know may be shattering for your mother. It, maybe it would help your dad. But what if it harmed your mother for her to be retroactively humiliated for the, the entire length of her marriage because it's all been a sham and the two people that she may have been most invested not knowing that the marriage was a sham, her own children now know, I would leave it alone. Your dad is 71 and your mom is probably very close or that age or older and they've made their bed and it's a mess and it's none of your business ultimately. Hi, Dan. Love your show. A uh, gay woman in their late 20s and I'm calling so that you can settle a dispute between me and my godmother. Um, I have been out as queer since I was 18 to my friends and in my general life. I'm not super close with my family, um, but I finally decided to come out to my parents as gay a couple of years ago. Um, after I called and talked to my dad, I friended him and my mother and, you know, several family members who I thought I could trust with the information on Facebook and everything was all good. Um, until I got to my grandmother, my black Baptist grandmother, who I loved to death, but who I was afraid sort of would take things the wrong way. I wasn't sure how she would feel about it. Um, one of the people I decided to friend on Facebook was my godmother. Um, we're not really close, but she did a lot for me when I was in college. She gave me my first car. Um, and I just, you know, I thought she was younger and pretty progressive and could handle it. Um, after I did end up talking to my grandmother about it, I found out that my godmother went to her and told her. Um, and I was upset about it. And my little sister said, oh, you know, grandma mentioned you being gay and said that, uh, that my godmother had told her. And I thought that that was a betrayal. And I was really upset about it. And I felt like I could no longer trust her with that information or any information that's on Facebook for that matter. So I unfriended her. Um, after not having uh, spoken to her in about a year, uh, she texted me yesterday and I let her know that I was upset with her because that was not her information to share and that it was gossipy and there was no reason for her to say so. Uh, she first lied and said that she didn't say anything and it wasn't her. And when I finally said to her, I said, my grandma told me you, that you said it and so did my little sister, so you're not telling the truth about it. Then her response was, oh, well, she already knew anyway, so it's not gossip. And I said to her that that's, that's not true. You Sorry know? to cut you off, but it's yeah. cut you off or hunt you down and slap you. Um, it's not gossip. 
unless there's something shameful about it and there's something shameful about being a lesbian. Your godmother wasn't gossiping with your grandmother about you. She was truthing with your grandmother about you. What you've done is, you know, for how old are you? How old does this woman say she was? Late 20s, out since you were 18? You're, you're not out to your family if, you know, you bring people into your secret one at a time and then swear them to secrecy and tell them they're not allowed to tell anybody else or these people. Like I've said before, that's not coming out. That's dragging people into the closet with you, right? At a certain point during your coming out process, I think early in your coming out process, you have a right to say, you know, I'm handling this right now and I'm telling people at my own pace and I would really appreciate it if during my initial coming out process you could be discreet and let me get ahead of it. Don't, don't let it get ahead of me. I want to control who knows right now. But there's a certain point in adulthood where the news precedes you. And people find out because it's just a fact, a neutral fact about you. Your godmother didn't tell your grandmother that you got a bunch of parking tickets or you got arrested for drug possession or that you were cheating on your girlfriend or you'd punched a cat. Your grandmother, your godmother didn't tell your grandmother any gossip. Your godmother told your grandmother something that was generally known to be true about you. That you are a lesbian. All of your friends know. Your coworkers know. And most of your family knows. Identifying certain people in your family who are never to be told is immature and irrational and impossible. That you can't make that work forever because you can't expect all of your relatives for fear of incurring your wrath to any time the subject of you comes up to run a program in their head trying to remember who knows and who doesn't know and who am I allowed to tell and who am I not allowed to tell. That's not being out. That's not coming out to someone. That's burdening someone with maintaining little scraps of your closet for you. I'm glad your grandmother knows. You were too chicken shit to tell your grandmother. Now she knows. Now you know that you were wrong to fear her reaction. Because it doesn't sound like your grandmother's upset. The only person who seems upset about you being out to your grandmother is you, which is about your own shame. And you need to get over it and you need to apologize to your godmother for freaking out and just say, I'm sorry. I was trying to control this past the point where it can be controlled anymore and I was trying to control you and thank you. Thank you for telling grandma ultimately because it all worked out for the best and I was too scared. And you were right that grandma could handle it. I'm glad you told her. Thanks for coming out to grandma for me. That's what you should say to your godmother. You underestimated your grandmother. Consciously or subconsciously, you may have done that on purpose. A lot of gay people, queer people do that. They think, oh, I can never come out to this person because that person is elderly or a, a Southern Baptist or a this or a that. That person, they can't handle the truth. And it turns out when they finally find out, as they inevitably do, that they could handle it and that you underestimated them and you were inflating their bigotry to cover for your own cowardice. Hello, Dan. Um, I am a 29-year-old straight woman living in New York. I'm calling because I um, am single. I have been, I was in a six and a half year relationship with someone um, and then one and a half years with someone else and I'm here now and single. Um, I'm pretty happy and started dating someone who I really like a lot after dating a lot of people that were really, really lame. Um, and he is a grown ass man <laughs> with a job who seems really emotionally stable. Um, he's in his last year of grad school and so he's really busy. 
Um, and so we've been seeing each other about once a week, a couple times, twice a week for like a month and a half now. Things are going really well. Um, and we, it's very slow. We don't talk all the time. Um, when we do talk, it's really nice. And when we see each other, it's really nice, but there isn't any sort of like remit, like sweepingly dramatic, romantic, um, free for all going on. And I really like that. Or I guess what I should say is I really know that that's healthy for me, but I'm also going through over-attentive psychotic man withdrawal, and it's really interesting, and I'm noticing it, and I'm I'm, um, having to check myself all the time and say, okay, you don't like it when men are constantly up your ass, and and where are you, what are you doing, and it makes you crazy when men are insecure, and this man is secure and interested in you, and you are just not used to that, and so I'm just looking for some advice um, on realizing that the trajectory of getting to know someone is supposed to be slow um, and that it does not serve me to jump in and automatically assume that because somebody isn't around all the time that they um, aren't as into me as I am into them because I don't do that to them. I don't know what my problem is, so I can't let go of it and I don't want to screw this up because I get so insecure because I think that he doesn't like me. Um because he's got other shit in his life, which I have so much other shit in my life, and I love that he does too. Um, and I don't want somebody who's hanging on me, but I, although I don't want it, it's what I'm used to. So just can you just slap the shit out of me and tell me to stop? I would bitch slap you, but I'm exhausted. I've been bitch slapping people all podcasts. I don't think I have it in me. And, and you don't really need me to bitch slap you. Uh, you're doing a really good job of it yourself. Uh, you know what the problem is. You got out of a relationship with a clingy guy because he was clingy, but it was a long relationship. Now you're in a relationship with a more secure guy who obviously likes you but isn't clingy and you're a little insecure because in that long relationship with Mr. Clingy, you began to associate clinging with love and you have to learn to disassociate those two things. And that just takes time and you reasoning with yourself, you know, that little voice in your head. And you don't need my voice in your head. Everything you said in your call proves that you have the voice in your head that can reason with you and talk you off your stupid clingy bitch ledge. So you don't need me. So I'm done with you. I'm done with this show, in fact. We're going to play some uh, comment calls and then I'm out of here. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to episode 317 where the woman called and said um, she was having second thoughts about marrying her girlfriend and she's 22 and she's going to go ahead and go through with it because she already has a dress and already has plane tickets. Um, that sounds ridiculous. If, if the biggest consideration she has for this whole thing is that she doesn't want to waste this dress and these plane tickets that have already been bought, if, if that's the primary thing going through her mind, I think that shows a complete lack of maturity and preparedness um, to be married. Uh, being married is a big deal, and it's a it's a big deal that folks in a lot of states don't get to participate in. My wife and I are married in the state of Massachusetts and not in the state that we live in. And the other thing that this woman needs to think about is that depending on the state you get married in, there may be no residency requirements to get married, but there may be residency requirements to get divorced. In the state of Massachusetts, for instance, if my wife and I wanted to get a divorce, one of us would have to move there for a minimum of six months. 
So that might be something um, that Miss I Have a Dress and Plane Tickets wants to look into before she goes through with this, particularly if she's having second thoughts. And if she's having second thoughts, why is she calling you instead of talking with her potentially future wife? Hi, this is um, about the guy with the TGG girlfriend who wishes he could please her in some way. My advice to him is to think outside the sexual box and to please her in other ways. Like, he could do chores, he could bring her flowers, he could help uh, do things that she doesn't do very well or normally do. Um, And, you know, it's really good that she spoils you, but you can spoil her in some other way until she brings you a kink. Hey, Dan, this is just a follow-up to the kinky guy who has a less kinky or not kinky girlfriend and um, about her being in slightly uncomfortable positions sometimes when she's blowing him or perhaps doing other sex acts to him as well. The thing, the way that he can take yes for an answer, the thing that he can do to do something for her to show that he appreciates what she's doing Give her a fucking massage. This is not that complicated. If she's in an uncomfortable position while she's blowing him or doing other things to him, then a massage afterwards could be really nice and could help those muscles that she was probably overtaxing a little bit to do what it took to get him off. Love the show. Bye. A quick note about one of the earlier calls and one of the more disturbing calls we've ever received at the podcast. Uh, just being into science fiction and fantasy and computers doesn't naturally lead someone into kind of furry vor fetishdom. Just wanted to say that. I wanted to say that when I was talking to the guy, but I didn't find a way to work that in. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, please give us a call, 206-201-2720. If you want to make sure your comment is out there in the world for all to see, go to The Stranger dot com slash lovecast where you will find every show and every show has its own dedicated comment thread 206-201-2720 the podcast is produced every week by nancy hartunian seattle's best straight lady and me and the tech savvy at risk youth we'll be back at you next week another installment of the savage lovecast thanks for coming.